But we are, we are so fortunate to have you and to have you desire time with us and for, for you to put your word down so that we might study it to get to know you better. Please, Lord, still our hearts today. Quiet them. Prepare us to hear your word now in the message. Lord, and, and thank you for your word and the songs. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you, worship team. What a beautiful song just before the message. It's, I almost just want to say amen and go home after that. That's, uh, what, a, what a blessing. Well, I'm Dean Hendrickson, and I have the, the privilege of serving alongside Dan and Chris. And it really is a, a great opportunity to, to open God's Word and to have an opportunity to, to encourage each other and share. I love the chance to, to learn when Dan and Chris open the Word, and I love the opportunity to dig into the Word when I get a chance to open it. It's, it's really something. And I've told you guys many times before, but I almost feel sorry for you at, at some level that you don't get a chance to dig into the Word like we do. And I would encourage you to, to look ahead, to, to see what's coming up in the text. We typically, for those of you who are new, generally speaking, we, we find a, a book of the Bible and we teach through it verse by verse. I would encourage you to spend time in God's Word before today. To be prepared for him to meet you. It is astounding to me how he meets me. And how he draws me ever closer to himself by studying his word. So I'd encourage you to do that. We're going to start in chapter 3 today of Genesis. So last week, it seems for some of you it might seem a little out of place, out of order. So last week we covered the first three verses of chapter 2. But if you remember back, or if you don't remember, go to the website and check out Chris's message, his last one. But he covered verses 4 through 25 in Genesis chapter 2. As, as he talked about the finishing up of the creation, i.e. up through day 6, and the marriage of Adam and Eve, the creation of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And then last week I came back and, and talked about day 7. That God's Sabbath, God's rest, that seventh day where he changed his activity. So he created for six days. In six days, he spoke everything we see into existence. And then on the seventh day, God changed his activity to one of fellowship with us, with Adam and Eve first and through all generations up until now. And, and I jokingly said last week, you know, you can always tell where somebody's heart is by where they spend their money and where they spend their time. Just think how much God would rather be with us than the creation he created or the, the world because he spent 10,000 years with us so far. And only six days with the physical landscape. What a, what a real blessing that is to see that. And, can you imagine what the Garden of Eden must have been like? So when God rested on the seventh day and then went into fellowship, some amount of time has gone by from that point until verse 1 in chapter 3. And we have no idea how much time that is. We don't know whether it was years. We don't know whether it was months. We don't know if it was days. 
We don't know if it were hours, but we know that there's been some time, amount of time that has gone on with that. And, and in this garden, just imagine it, especially for those of you who are gardeners. Can you imagine what it was like not trying to grow trees and plants in the arid confines of northern Colorado? Not trying to grow things in, in soil that is better made into bricks than into growing things? What astounding concepts it must have been like to be there with all of the birds of the air and the fish of the sea and the, and the beast of the land as they wandered about and partook of this amazing Eden that God had provided for Adam and Eve to take place in and to live in. And he told them that this was for them and that, and, and that they needed to take care of it. And what a what an interesting deal. So we see that in verse 15 of chapter 2. And then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to cultivate and to keep it. And then later he brought Eve alongside. What an amazing thing that must have been. In the midst of this garden, there were a couple of trees of, of note. The tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So they were distinct trees. We have to assume that they were obviously distinct, that there, there was no confusing that you might not walk up to this tree like many of us walk up to trees and say, is this an oak? Right? But they would know, Adam and Eve would know distinctively that this was the tree of life or that this was a tree of the knowledge of good and evil and that, that there was no rain in the Garden of Eden because it was watered from the rivers and from the water that would come up and the mist. And what a, what a beautiful place. It must have been. And I think it's important for us to take a step back and, and at the very least imagine that as best we can before we step in to verse 1 because all things are going to change very, very quickly for Adam and Eve and the garden because of this. So as we move into chapter 3, verse 1, note, coming on stage, the serpent. Now, the serpents were all created by God, the snakes, the, this word is really very well translated to snake. So we know that the snakes were created by God. We have every reason to believe that there's a distinction between the pre-fall snake and the post-fall snake, which is an interesting concept. And Pastor Dan will talk about the post-fall snake in a couple of weeks. But And, and that's where God distinctly says in, later on in chapter 3, And on your belly you shall go, and in the dust you shall eat all the days of your life. It inherently suggests that the snake had legs pre-fall. We don't know, but it suggests that. But here comes a specific serpent. Now, this serpent probably is no different than the other serpents in the Garden of Eden. But this one is indwelled. So we see the first beginning in the speaking of the serpent that reminded me when Jeannie was up here talking earlier about the donkey with the lamb and how the donkey stopped and laid down and, and the lamb was trying to get it to go, not understanding that the donkey was saving his miserable life right at that moment. And, and, and to think that's so a very positive sign, but what we're going to talk today isn't so much, but in chapter 3, verse 1, it goes, Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? Well, there's a lot of interesting perspectives here. How many of you know talking serpents? Yeah, none of us have probably been exposed to those. Well, we don't know 
what the look on Eve's face must have been. If I was standing in the woods and a snake started to talk to me from a tree, I'd be surprised. I'm not a big fan of snakes. I'd probably have a second reaction from surprise and the snake wouldn't talk anymore. I'm not very fond of them. But what an interesting perspective here that, that the, the serpent, which we know the serpent, the, the, the snake itself was of, cry, was of God's creation, but it was indwelled. And we know later when we go into Revelations 12, verses 7 through 9, Revelations 20, verse 2, and 2 Corinthians 11, 3, that the serpent was Satan. So we don't see that here. But if we go back and if we follow further in the word, we see clearly that, that the apostle John, as he wrote Revelation, and Paul, as he wrote Corinthians, referred back to this point and clearly distinguished this serpent as being Satan. Well, who is Satan? And why is he talking through a snake? And why is he there? And why is he asking questions about God? Do you realize that that's the first question in the Bible? Before this, all there were were answers. Everything was an answer. But now all of a sudden there's a question. If we look at Ezekiel, verse 28, we get a little bit of a picture into Satan. A little bit of an idea of, of what the whole thing looked like. So Ezekiel 28, verses 11 through 19. Now this is a letter that Ezekiel is writing, and he's writing it to the king of Tyre. But if you read this letter, it's obvious that he's, he's comparing the king of Tyre to Satan. And he starts in verse 13. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. The ruby, the topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, and the jasper, the lapis lazuli, and the turquoise, and the emerald, and the gold, and the workmanship of your settings and sockets was in you. In the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were the anointed cherub who covers, and I placed you there. You were there on the holy mountain of God. You walked in the midst of the stones of life. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. By the abundance of your trade, you were internally filled with violence and you sinned. Therefore, I have cast you as profane from the mountain of God, and I have destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom by reason of your splendor. I, ought, I cast you to the ground. I put you before kings that they may see you. By the multitude of your iniquities in the unrighteousness of your trade, you profane your sanctuaries. Therefore, I have brought fire from the midst of you. It has consumed you, and I have turned you to ashes on the earth in the eyes of all who see you. All who know you among the peoples are appalled at you. You have become terrified and you will be no more. There's every reason to believe that Satan was perhaps even the highest of the archangels in heaven. So we know that this time that Satan came down to indwell the snake had to happen after creation. Why do you suppose that is? What were the last words God said and day six, it was very good. Every day it was good. Everything was good. And, 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 by the, and in the morning and the evening, it was very good. And God was very satisfied and pleased by what he had done. 
Well, we, ha- we know that Satan couldn't have been where he was during that time. So the fall of Satan comes sometime after the seventh day and before verse 1, chapter 3. But here he is. Iniquity rose up in him from within. So it didn't come from the outside. It came from within Satan. And this is an important step to remember. There was a TV show when I was kid, a kid and there was an actor that would do all these things. And then his response was always, the devil made me do it. Right? The, the, the insistence that it was somebody else's fault. But Satan here, just like us, the iniquity springs up within us. It doesn't cover us from other people. We bring it up from within. Why did Satan, who was perfectly made, desire to sin? Why would someone who could be there with God, the triune God, why would they choose to sin and lose it all? If we read Isaiah verses 14, or chapter 14, verses 12 through 15, I think it gives us a pretty good picture. How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. You have been cut down to earth, you who have weakened the nations. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God, and I will sit on the mount mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud, and I will make myself the most high. Why did Satan fall? It was pride. He wanted to be better than, bigger than God. And we know it wasn't just Satan that went, but in Revelations 12, 4, we're also told that a third of all the angels went with him. And we have every reason to believe that they have become the demons that we deal with now here on earth. It's a challenging thing for me, and we talked about this last night, it's always been a challenge for me to comprehend why God made us when he knew we would sin, fall short of his glory, and need to be cast out of the garden. Why did he do it? I mean, I've always struggled with that. He's the all-knowing God. He knows everything. He understands everything. There's nothing outside of his purview. Why would he do it? It's just, I really believe it's because he just desires so much to have relationships with us. We talked about it last night in community group. It's a lot like us as parents. How many parents are there in the room? Right? So the vast majority of people here are parents. Now, before you had your children, did you know that they were going to do things that you were going to be upset about? How many knew that? Yeah? Uh, how many of you knew that your children at some stage would yell at you and call you ignorant? Right? Yet we still had them. We knew the challenges coming up. I, I, I sense that God gave us some of that as a glimpse to why he created us. He wants the relationship with us anyways, even though he knew what it would take. But here's something that just came crashing down on me yesterday. That he, It's one of those gee whizzers that I often get as I study God's word. Thinking, well, when did he decide... To, to, to give us a route of salvation. Was it two minutes after Satan approached Eve? 
Was God sitting there going, come on, don't do it. Don't do it, come on. We can live in Eden forever. No, it was actually, he tells us clearly that the plan of salvation was set and promised before the foundation of the world. God knew before he turned Adam and Eve out into the garden that it would be short-lived, that their time spent there would be limited. He already had the plan, and the plan was Christ. The plan was the creator, right? The plan was the one who spoke the world into existence. He spoke it into existence knowing full well that the time in Eden was very short. And yet, he did it willingly. That is love. Can you, can you grasp that? Can you feel that love? That concept that he knew all of this and yet he did it willingly. Desiring us to have a relationship. At some point when he talks about it wasn't good for man to be alone, I get the perspective that God was saying it wasn't good for us to be alone. I wanted you. He wanted us. And he set about, before he brought everything into existence, a plan of salvation because he knew we would fail. That is so encouraging. We know then that he allowed Satan to approach Eve. Do you think God could have stopped Satan from getting into the snake or any other creature that he might have chosen? Now, Satan's a responder. Satan has no control over the end result. But God let him into the snake because he knew that he had to give us free choice. You see, it wasn't, it wouldn't be worth it to make us and have us be robots. It wouldn't be worth it to him to have us in a relationship with him if we were nothing but yes people. He wanted us to want a relationship with him as much as he wanted a relationship with us. So he gave us a choice. He gave Eve the choice. Satan in Hebrew means adversary. And, and, and it wasn't really a proper term, if you will, in the early stages. In fact, it's probably through the entirety of the Old Testament. Satan was a descriptive term, an adversary. We've given him the name, Satan. We put a capital S on it. In the Hebrew, it was a small s. It was a, it was a, a descriptive term. So how did he do it? How did Satan pull it off? I mean, put yourself in Eve's spot. You were created by God. We have every evidence to believe that God walked in the garden with Adam and Eve. We'll see that again later on in, in verse 8. So they knew him. They didn't just know of God. They knew God. They had seen him in action. They'd watched him. Adam knew what God was all about because Adam was there when God brought all the animals before him for him to name them. Adam was there when God had his sleep fall upon him and took out a ribbon and fashioned Eve. And when he woke Adam up and he brought Eve... Adam saw what God could do. It wasn't something they read. This wasn't something that they heard about third hand. They were there. They were part of it. 
There was this garden of splendor, this garden of mystery, this garden. Can you imagine? You know nothing because you were nothing. You are something and the whole world's yours. Like that. Just like that. Everything's yours except two trees. Stay away from the trees. But the rest is yours. So how did Satan get a foothold into Eve? It shouldn't have been possible. I'd like to think that if it had been me, I'd have been far craftier than the snake. Now, again, probably because I hate snakes, I'd have just killed the snake. But Eve, listen. Step one. There's a snake, it's in a tree, and it's talking. Now, we have no evidence that any of the other beasts ever spoke. So this should have been unique. But, you know, as, a, as one of the, the, the writers of one of the commentaries I was reading put it, everything had to be so fascinating that when the snake started talking, all you could do is say, wow, I'd never guessed that was going to happen. But the next part should have nailed Eve. Eve should have been prepared for this. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? Satan started to spread doubt. That doubt word. Huh. Gee, I've got a talking snake. And it's asking a question of me. It's also interesting that if you look at the way this is written, at least, it would appear that Satan stressed not the positive, but the negative. Remember, if we go back in chapter in chapter two, uh, let's see. OK, verses 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man. This is before Eve. He commanded the man, Adam, saying from any tree of the garden, you may eat freely. But from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in the day that you eat from it, you shall surely die. Whenever we speak to people, we have the opportunity to start out with either a positive statement, a neutral statement or a negative statement. Right. We can either be encouraging, neutral or discouraging. What did God do? Well, in verse 16, he says in the God commanded man saying from any tree in the garden, you may eat freely. Hey, you got to think there's a lot of trees in the garden. There's only two that are off limits. And God starts off his his discussion very appropriately. There's all sorts of trees out there. Go and enjoy them. But there's two I'd like you to stay away from. Eh, Maybe a little stronger than that. I'm going to command you to stay away from them. But he starts on positive. What does Satan do? Indeed, has God said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? Brings up the negative. Trying to probably convince Eve, look, this God guy, he's boxing you in. He's not giving you the freedom you deserve. You ought to have more than that. Some level portraying God as a limited God. You mean he can't do everything? You can't have Anything you want? Huh, that's kind of a small God you got going on there. What should Eve have said? She should have said, 
You don't know the God I know. The God I know, he spoke all of this into existence. I have it on first-hand account. And there's everything here for us. He said, I can freely eat from every tree in the garden. There's only one tree that he specifically told me right now I couldn't. I'm going to stick with him. What are you? You're a snake. What have you got to offer? What did you make? What did you create? What are you responsible for? But she didn't. In verses 2 and 3, Eve says to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. It's really interesting. If we go back to Genesis 2, verses 16 and 17, where we have God's command to Adam, it reads a little different. The concept's the same, but if you look carefully, there's some differences here. I completely missed these. And, and, and so, if we look at God's, God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely. Well, Eve didn't talk about the fact that they could eat everything they wanted from every other tree in the gardens but one. Hmm, okay, so she left something out. And then she says, You shall not eat from it or touch it, or you will, sh- or you will die. But God didn't say anything about not touching the tree. And in fact is, probably, we have it on good hand, because a little bit earlier he had told Adam to get in there, cultivate, and keep my garden. You would have had to touch the tree to prune it, to cultivate it, to take care of it. God wasn't about saying you shouldn't touch the tree or you're going to die. But Eve added that. So why would she have done that? Well, maybe it came from Adam. Maybe Adam said, you know, when right after God made me and he brought me into the garden just before he made you, he brought me to these trees, this tree, and he said, you shouldn't eat the fruit from this tree. Well, actually, what he said was, you see all these other trees? Enjoy them. Eat to your heart's content. But not this one. So I'm going to show you this is the tree. Recognize it, know it. It's kind of like when you take your kids camping. That's poison oak, that's poison ivy. They look nice, just don't touch them. He was doing the same thing. Adam went about. Now maybe Adam stretched it a little bit to put a little bit more concern into Eve. We don't know. It wasn't told us. Might be, it might be that, that Eve's questioning God a bit now. Well, why is it I can't have every tree? Why can't I have everything I want? Maybe maybe she added it. I don't know the answer. But it's interesting that she left out freely and added touch. Don't touch. And, and, and it would certainly appear as if Eve is responding wrongly to what God has done and is listening a little too much to Satan in this. And yet... There's no reason. What had God done that wasn't everything to them? What had he not given them that they needed? And still yet, she questioned it. Another interesting perspective here is that God had clearly given Adam and Eve dominion over all of the things of the air on the land and the sea. He'd given them dominion over all of those things. Why in the world was Eve being listening to and being taught by a creature 
that God had clearly said previously that you're to have dominion over this, this animal. Why would Eve have listened with that? In one, one documentary I read, it said that the serpent should have been under her control, not teaching her. Eve should have picked up on the fact that this didn't fit. This wasn't in the plan. She should have heard that. As we move on, Eve now has, has responded. She has mostly said what God said in chapter 2. She left out freely, added don't touch. And now the serpent gets bold. You see, the first question from the serpent was one that was relatively harmless. Let's say Eve responded the way she should have. Get out of here, you snake. Serpent goes away. It was a fairly innocuous question. Did God really say you couldn't eat from any tree in the garden? But now the serpent is bold. We're going to see what this picture looks like. If we look at James chapter 1, verses 13 through 15, God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when the desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. We're going to see this verse just now. So the serpent said to the woman, surely you will not die. God is a liar. That's what he just said. God is a liar. Surely you're not going to die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Oh, wow. God, you're a liar. And he's trying to keep you down. This guy's no good. He's no good. He lies to you. He's deceiving you. He's narrow, keeps you too hemmed in. You've got all the freedom in the world. You should take advantage of it. You don't let that God hold you down. Man, you can really blossom if you'll just listen to me. I can help you out. What an amazing thing. It's astounding. But you know what? Eve should have run. You don't suppose that had Eve called upon God right here, or even Adam for that matter, and said, we have a problem. Come fix it. That they wouldn't have? But did you notice? Eve doesn't run. Eve now has hatched desire. James 1. Desire has now been conceived in Eve. It almost has to come through to fruition now. Eve has now gone past the point of no return because she didn't run. Satan just called God a liar. What do we do? When Satan calls God a liar in our lives. What do we do when, when Satan puts before us a temptation? You know, we both know that it would be great for you to pass this test. It would be really good for your career. 
And if you just do that, you'll do great things in the future that will really help people. But you're going to have to cheat because you're not prepared. But it's okay. You just have to look at the good that's going to happen down the road and it'll, it'll justify cheating today. Or, or man, I, I, I really need this and, and I know I can't afford this thing. But this is a big store. Did you know that the CEO of this store gets paid $5 million a week? They, he could buy it back. It'll just hurt him, not anybody else. And I need it. And I'll use it for good things. You see, the desire to be as wise as God isn't necessarily a bad desire. But if God said that we shouldn't want to do that, we ought not to want to do it. And that was the problem. Satan's trying to get us by pointing out flaws in God's character. He did it to Eve, and he does it to us all the time. We're no different than Eve. You see, this is put before us every day. You might argue that none of us are going to get kicked out of the Garden of Eden because we're already gone. You might argue that God didn't himself tell a person one generation or a relationship away from you not to eat from this tree. But the bottom line is we're there every day. Every day we have decisions placed before us. And Satan tempts us by challenging God's character. Surely God can't save you from that. Or what about when he challenged Jesus? Right? When Jesus was fasting for the 40 days. Make yourself some bread, man. Eat. Throw yourself from here down there. Surely the angels will catch you. He was pointing out character flaws. So you see, Satan knew that the best way to get us is to start innocuous. Did I hear that right? God says you can't eat from any tree in the garden? Boy, that ought to be a red flag for us when we hear that. But when we don't run, that emboldens Satan. We've now given him foothold. We've, we've now not just happened to be on the same bus with him, We've asked him to sit in the seat beside us. We've asked him in because we didn't leave when he questioned God's character. Eve's response should have been, I will go with God and do whatever God wants for me to do. However, whenever, whatever. I'm with him all the way. Don't even bother questioning God in front of me. She didn't. Satan got more bold. Now, he's a liar. God's a liar. It's obvious God is a liar. But who's the liar? Well, we know very clearly now who the liar was. We can point back at Eve. You got deceived. And because of you, the rest of us got kicked out of the Garden of Eden. But when is the last time we looked at ourselves? When's the last time we looked in the mirror and said, you're buying the lies. You know how to quit that. You've got to quit buying into the lie. Satan was a liar and a murderer from the beginning. John 8, 44, we see that. He tempted Christ 
He tempted Eve. He tempts us on a regular basis. And when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Eve needed to run. She didn't. Verse 6, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate and she gave also to her husband and he ate. He had Eve's emotions. Physical appetite. Ah, that looks good for food. Emotional appetite. Oh, it's beautiful too. And an intellectual appetite. Desirable to make one wise. In 1 John 2, 16 and 17, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but it is from the world. The world is passing away and also its lust, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. It may have looked... It may have been good food. It may have looked good, but it was a command not to touch it. So when Eve ate, she was deceived and she gave the fruit to Adam. Now, we have no evidence that Adam was deceived at all. In fact, is we're pretty sure he wasn't. Adam knew not to touch the fruit. Adam told Eve not to eat the fruit. When Eve handed Adam the fruit, he said, thanks, honey. And he took it and ate it. She was deceived by the serpent. Adam willfully disobeyed God. Completely, There was no deceit in that one at all. Adam owns the problem here. And God went on to tell him that. It's so difficult for us to recognize what went wrong next or how, how horrific the next thing was. But you see, when they ate of the tree, their eyes were opened, it says, and they saw evil for the first time. They lived in good. They saw good every day. Satan, so deceitful, made Eve believe that by eating this fruit, she would see great stuff. She would be as wise as God. Well, she got an eye opener. They both got an eye opener. We're living with it. We see it every day, evil everywhere. Man's desires are evil all the time. Not part of the time, not only when you're awake, but all the time. Verse 7, then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. They were shameful. They lost their innocent. The serpent promised them enlightenment. But all he did was open their eyes to the evil in the world. Do you suppose they'd have gone back? Do you suppose that they could have spit it out and have it go back to normal? That they'd have done it and stayed away from the tree for the rest of their lives? How many think they would have? Guess what? You get a chance to have them live vicariously through you. You get the chance to turn away from the temptation. You get the opportunity to move forward with the legacy of Adam and Eve and get a chance to see what it's like not to give in to temptation. So why aren't we ever satisfied with what we have? Don't we trust that what God's given us is good enough for us and what we need? Why is it that we are so willing to question God and trust Satan? It's so critical that you recognize that the minute 
you recognize Satan is tempting you, you must flee. You must leave pronto. You can't stick around to see whether all the stuff you've learned from the Word will be enough to thwart him. Get away now. You must not give him a foothold. Had Eve recognized Satan when he questioned God and had fleed, it would have at least given them more time. But we have the chance to learn from her. So might I encourage you, when you recognize the evil one, flee. When you see the evil one coming close to friends, family, come to them with scripture. You see, Satan will bring lies. You've got to bring truth. But then get the people out of there. What a blessing it is that God has given us his word. So we don't have to get stuck there. I'll encourage you guys this week. Look carefully. Pay attention. Look for the snake. It's going to come in a lot of different forms. Now, you see, Satan doesn't have to just live in a snake anymore. Sometimes he walks right next to us. He doesn't have have to be deceptive because we aren't even paying enough attention. Let's pray. Lord, we are so grateful for you and your truth and what you have to offer us as believers. Lord, this is tough. It's, It's hard to look at this and see how Eve was deceived and yet recognizing that if it had been me, I'd have made the mistake. Lord, please help us to dig into your word, to to know your truth, to know your character, so we know who you are, and we know when Satan's trying to tempt us by poking holes in your character. Lord, guide us, change us, don't, don't let us be where we are, but grow us to be more and more like Jesus Christ, to make us available for those around us that we we would be able to encourage them and to care for them and love them. Lord, and, and just Go with us as we go from here today and help us to shine you to everyone we see. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.